Hey everyone, this is Joseph Bosco, pastor of Highway Church. Thanks for joining us on our podcast. You know, all of us need the right kind of voices in our lives. Voices that inspire us to know the one who made us. Voices that awaken our divine destiny and reveal to us the goodness of God. Well, that's what this ministry is all about. So enjoy the message. Made to praise. You may not realize it, but you were handcrafted by God himself to know him. And I think in many ways, praise is not understood in the body of Christ. People think sometimes, well, we, we'll sing some songs, and that's, maybe that'll attract some people to our church if we sing some songs. But that's really not praise. It can be. It all depends on what you're, what's in your heart when you're doing it, right? But we've been talking about praise, and we've been looking at the word, the English word praise, which has its origin in the Latin word, which means price, to set a price on, to prize, to estimate the value of, and to appraise. You were made to know the value of the one who made you. You are made to appraise his love and goodness in your life, to know how much he loves you and to know all that he's done for you through his son. Father, we thank you. Teach us, Holy Spirit, to appraise you, to value and see clearly all that you've done for us through the finished work of Christ. You raised him up on that third day And Satan was eternally defeated, stripped of his authority. That anyone who would put their faith in Jesus Christ becomes just as much of a son as Jesus is. Hallelujah. Thank you for ministering life to everyone listening and watching. This message this morning, Holy Spirit life, wholeness from the top of our head to the soles of our feet, untroubled, undisturbed well-being in Jesus' name, amen. So the exhortations that we see in Scripture to praise the Lord are exhortations to behold Him to give him our full attention and believe that he is all that he says he is. Believe that he's done all that he said he's done and to believe that we are all that he says we are. That's praising him. That's appraising the reality of who he is. That's that's exalting our awareness, our understanding of him. Remember, praise doesn't lift God up as far as he's concerned. He's already seated above all. He can't get any higher. It lifts him up in our eyes, right? It doesn't literally lift him up. He's seated above all. But it lifts him up in our eyes, in our heart, in our mind. When your appraisal of God matches what he says about himself, you begin to experience him. If your appraisal of God is less than what he says about himself, your experience with him is going to be spotty. Have you ever had spotty Wi-Fi? Don't like that. Or, you know, you're, you're driving and your hands are on the wheel, right? You got your phone in your phone holder, hands free. And uh, you're listening to something, uh, a message, and all of a sudden you pass through a spotty zone, right? Or you're talking to someone on the phone, and they're telling you something. You're really into the conversation. And all of a sudden, and I will, if I, and then, <laughs> yeah, and, and that, know what I mean? 
No, I didn't hear what you said. Well, when your appraisal of God doesn't match what he says about himself, you'll go through life uh, in, in this spotty zone. Sometimes you'll hear from him, sometimes you won't. Sometimes you'll get what he's saying, sometimes you won't because you haven't appraised him properly. You haven't embraced him as he is. See, God's looking for people who simply take him at his word. You know, it's, it's amazing as I, I, I enjoy studying history and I enjoy learning about those who've gone before us, uh, but it's amazing at how hard-hearted man can be in their appraisal of God. And they'll turn Christianity into some kind of a religious club with a set of to-dos, they call them sacraments, that you have to go through. Can I, can I rock your world a little bit? There's only one sacrament. Believe in Christ. That's it, if you want to call it that. That's all that he asks of you. Just believe what I've said and what I've done. That's all he's looking for. He's not looking for uh, people to get soaked in water and, and, and to say their prayers right and, and name get put on a church wa- roster. He's looking for, for men, women, 10-year-olds, 12-year-olds, 15-year-olds, 35-year-olds, 82-year-olds, 120-year-olds who will just believe him. This is the heart of God. His eyes are running to and fro throughout the whole earth to find a heart that will just believe Him. That's what He's looking for. He's not looking for perfect people who never make mistakes and who've got it all together and who are religiously pious and right. He's looking for hearts that are open to what He says. That's what he wants. You were made to receive his word and act on it. Don't complicate things. Satan's the one who wants to complicate this. And if there's any area of your life where someone asks you about it and your response is it's complicated, you know that you've been listening to the enemy. It's not complicated. Just believe God. Just believe God in that area. Stop trying to figure it out and grab a hold of what God says about that situation and believe Him. When your appraisal of God matches what He says about Himself, it's not complicated anymore. It becomes very simple. God said it. That's all I need to know. That's all I need to know. Last week, we looked at one of my favorite appraisers. It was a centurion in Romans chapter 8, a man who had no covenant with God. He was not under the law. He was not a part of Moses. He was not one of the tribes of Israel. He was simply someone who heard about Jesus, who, who uh, heard his name and his ministry and what he did, and he decided to believe him. And what I love, we're not going to go there again today, but it's one of my favorite chapters in the Bible, because this man who had someone that he loved, who was grievously suffering and tormented. So he came to Jesus, and he simply told Jesus about the situation. And Jesus says, I will come and heal him, but I love this man's heart. You've got to see to the heart, because that's what God sees. When you're reading through the Bible, look at hearts. Not actions, look at hearts. In your relationships with people, look at hearts. We don't look at people from the outside. We look at the content of their heart. And Jesus said, I'll come and heal him. He said, you don't need to do that. Just speak. I believe that you are who you... My appraisal of you is that you're God. His appraisal of Jesus matched what Jesus said of himself, and as a result, this man experienced him. Just speak the word, and our problem is solved. 
What else do you need? Oh, the world says you need a long list of things, right? You got to change your diet. You got to change your exercise routine. You've got to search uh, for the right kind of herbs and organic foods and and philosophies, and got to go to the right counselors and the right physicians, and and that's a never-ending journey. If the answer to health was in those things, a lot of people would be healthy. In my experience, the people I know who place a premium on those things are the ones who are dealing with sickness the most because fear is involved. And I'm not knocking uh, choosing to eat well or exercising and making good decisions. That's fine. But I am encouraging you to go deeper into the spirit realm and acknowledge what Christ did for you and appropriate the finished work by faith and you won't be afraid of what you eat anymore. Hallelujah. Paul, is it Paul instructing Timothy that said everything's been created by God? We eat everything with thanksgiving. It's all to be received and rejoiced over. Favorite appraiser in Matthew chapter 8. I'm going to look at another favorite appraiser in Matthew chapter 15. Let's go there. Matthew chapter 15. I love this hot mama in Matthew chapter 15. The Syrophoenician woman. She was a mom and she was hot for Jesus. She was determined to experience his fire in her life. Come on, how much fire do you want in your life? Do you want the fire of Christ in your heart? Come on. Do you want the fire of Christ burning in your family? Jesus. So there's this, there you go. We got some hot mamas in this church. And hot papas. (laughs) So here comes this hot mama. She says, uh, Jesus went thence. He departed into the, this is verse 21. He departed into the coasts of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coast. Here again is someone like the centurion who has zero covenant with God. Naturally speaking, she has no connection to God in terms of her uh, ethnicity, her heritage, her religious practices. She would be considered a foreigner, a stranger to God, yet she is the one who connects with God. Why? Because he's not looking for your pedigree. He's not looking for your religious heritage. He's looking at your heart. Will you take me at my word? Will you exalt my word above everything you've been through and simply believe that I am your answer? Jesus. This woman who has no natural reason to expect anything from God comes to God. And she cries out unto him saying, Have Mercy, loving kindness, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. She's appraising him, isn't she? She knows that God is a God of mercy. Her appraisal of God is matching what he says about himself, that he's, a, he's rich in love, that he's rich in loving kindness, that he's gracious and compassionate, abounding in loving kindness. She's appraised him truly. Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. She's done some studying, hasn't she? You don't say things like this unless you understand that Jesus comes from the branch of Jesse. (laughs) He's the root out of dry ground. So she's done some studying before she came to Jesus. In her study, she appraised him properly. Your study won't do you any good if you're not appraising him properly. My daughter is grievously vexed with a devil. We have no idea what this looked like. But it was terrible. We have no idea what she physically was going through. But she says she's grievously tormented. We don't know if she had oozing sores on her skin 
We don't know if she couldn't breathe properly. We don't know if her body was twisted. We have, but it was, it was dire. And she comes to the son of David, the root of Jesse, and she says, let your mercy fall upon me. Let your loving kindness wash over my daughter. But he answered her not a word. His disciples came and besought him. So Jesus continues walking. He doesn't respond to her. His disciples came and besought him saying, Send her away for she crieth after us. She's annoying them. We don't see any signs that Jesus is annoyed, but his disciples are. He's just focused. Don't let the needs of people or yourself pull you off of your focus of what the Father's called you to do. Nothing is as important as what he's directed you to do. Just because someone says it's urgent doesn't make it urgent for you. You're not obligated to drop everything because someone is having what they call a crisis. We're not living for crisis and for perceived needs. And and we're living to follow the Father. Jesus was focused, not disturbed. You understand that? How about you when someone calls you and, and gives you some disturbing news and wants you to do this and that. Does it pull you off of what the Father's directed you to do that day? Now you listen to the Holy Spirit. You follow His lead. Sometimes He may lead you to shift and meet or or go in the direction of that person's need. The point is we're focused in our day on what the Father's directing us to do, not the needs of the world around us or even our perceived needs. Verse 24, but Jesus answered and said, Listen now, he's focused on his life mission. I'm not sent. Now, he was in the flesh at this point, right? Hadn't gone to the cross. He was specifically sent to the lost sheep of Israel during this time. He's for everybody. God so loved the world. But in this ministry time, he has a very specific directive from God the Father to do to preach to the lost sheep of Israel. She was not one of those. I'm not sent, but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. I have a divine mission, and I'm staying with it. You have a divine mission. Stay with it. Then came she and worshipped him, saying, Lord, Help me. She's an honest woman, isn't she? She's not up to something. Her daughter's grievously tormented. She knows Jesus is the son of David. He's rich in mercy. And she's simply asking him to help. I like that. He answers and says, It is not proper to take the children's bread, the lost sheep of Israel, and to cast it to the dogs, those who have no covenant with God. Now, she's wanting healing for her daughter. What does Jesus call healing? The children's bread. You put a nice hot piece of buttered bread with jelly in front of a child, they'll have no problem eating that. Eating bread is one of the easiest things to do for a child. They don't even have to have teeth. You just take a little piece and pop it in there. They'll gum that thing. It's easy to be whole. It's the children's bread. Just eat it. Healing is the simplest of all simple. Just believe.
And she said, are you tripping, Jesus? No. First word out of her mouth, truth. She's recognizing his mission. That's a hot mama right here. She's realizing his mission is paramount. This is a woman who's focused on God. truth, Lord. Yet even those who don't have a covenant with you, the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from the master's table. I'm going to tell you, our dog knew right where to sit when we were eating dinner. When our kids were little. She, right next to the little ones, right? Smart. There she is. Why? Crumbs fall from their chair. And guess who eats those crumbs? Yeah, our vacuum cleaner with a tail, right? Yeah. (laughs) So all I need is a, a touch from you. I'm not asking for a covenant. I'm not asking to become one of the children of Israel. I just want a crumb from your table. This is a woman who's focused and appraising God. Accurately. Jesus said under a woman, great is your faith. What is faith? Confidence in the goodness of God. Woman, you realize how good I am. Be it unto you, even as you will. That's a good God. Be it unto you, as you will. Be it unto you, just as you desire, one translation says. See how important it is to appraise God? as he is, to recognize his divine mission and stay with him, take him at his word, and just believe him. Great is your faith. Be it unto you as you wish, one translation says. As you wish. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. Now, we don't know if that was an immediate manifestation, but from that hour, wholeness came. Now, when our appraisal of God doesn't match what he says about himself, then it limits our experience with him. For time's sake, we're not going to go there, but a great example of this is, there there are several in the word, is in Mark chapter 6 when this same Jesus returns to his hometown and and he goes on the Sabbath into the synagogue and begins teaching. But their appraisal of him is that he is not who he says he is. This is Mark chapter 6, and you can look at this later in verse, verses 1 and following uh, through verse 5. And it, because of their appraisal, it says that he could do no mighty work there. Same Jesus in Matthew 8, Matthew 15. What changed their appraisal of him? Not God. God never changes. It's our appraisal of him that needs to change. God, in Mark 6, was attempting to heal and deliver people and could not because they would not believe him. You study Mark chapter 6, 1 through 5. And his response in verse 6 is that he went round about teaching. 
to raise their awareness, to raise their praise, their assessment of Him. That's what we do every week at Highway. We're raising your appraisal of God the Father. When we sing, it's praise. That's why we sing the songs we do, songs that will raise your appraisal of Him. This is why we preach the messages we preach, to raise your appraisal of Him. Because when your appraisal matches what He says about Himself, you'll experience Him. This is what renewing the mind is. It's, It's making our appraisal of God match what He says about Himself instead of what we've concluded based on what we've been through. Or what religious tradition has told us. You see, the father wants his children to know him as he is. Made to praise him. Do you remember the burning bush? Let's go back to Exodus chapter 3. Now this is hundreds of years after Abram became Abraham. This is Moses now, and God's people, through their own stubbornness and hardness of heart, put themselves into bondage. God wants to deliver them. He needs someone to step forward and respond to him. He calls Moses to be that deliverer, and Moses is hiding in the backside of the desert, and God's trying to get his attention. And as Moses is going through his daily responsibilities, the glory of God begins illuminating a bush. And remember, Moses didn't have the Holy Spirit in him. No one could have the Holy Spirit yet. God had to externally get a hold of their senses. So he physically sees a bush. It looks like it's on fire. It's the glory of God. And God has a conversation with Moses. And he he tells Moses that he wants Moses to go back to Egypt. How long has he been out of there? One year? Two years? Ten years? Twenty years? Thirty years? 35, 40 years he's been gone. He's 80 years old, and God is calling him. Reject the world's idea of aging. He's 80 years old and ready to go. How about you? Hallelujah. So he says, I want you to go back to Pharaoh, and I want you to tell him to let my people go. I want you to tell my people that I'm, I, I've come to deliver them. And Moses says, well, <laughs> they're going to ask me, who sent you? What do I tell them? That takes us to Exodus 3, verse 14. I want you to look at God's response because the Father wants his children to know him as he is. The Father wants his children to know him as he is. And God replied to Moses and said, I am that I am. That is the best reply he could have given. Who shall I tell him sent me? I am that I am. And he said, thou shalt say unto the children of Israel, I am has sent me unto you. The Septuagint transcript read this way. And God said unto Moses, I am he who is. Tell them, he who is sent me. Sent you. I'm going to read you some of the the, uh, definitions and commentary on this, this Hebrew word here. In Exodus 3.14, I am. It's related to the name of God. In English, we would say Y-H-W-H. We say Yahweh. Or uh, There's different ways to pronounce it. I don't know them. But it's, we render it in your English translations. Usually, it's rendered in all capitals. L-O-R-D. Lord. Yahweh. 
If you see, that's, that's that word. Well, this word I am is, is closely related to the word Yahweh, which is the name Lord. And it's the, it's the verb, I don't know how to say it, but H-A-Y-A-H, Hava. It means to be. It's almost exactly like the Hebrew verb Shava, to live or life. The chief meaning of Jehovah is derived from the Hebrew word Hava, meaning to be or to exist. God reveals himself as the being who is absolutely self-existent, the one who in himself possesses essential life, permanent existence, the one who has no beginning. Just think about that for a moment. That is foreign to everything we've ever known. No beginning. There's only one who can claim that. That's him. I am. The one who has no beginning, no end. A to Z, the one who knows the end from the beginning, the ongoing one. Tell them the ongoing one has sent you. The one who exists by himself, who requires no aid, no external power supply. He's the uncreated creator. Tell them the uncreated creator sent you. He's independent of any concept, force, or entity. He's the one who brings forth life and causes to grow. God exists by himself, for himself. He's the uncreated creator who is independent of any concept, force, or entity. Therefore, I am who I am. I am the ongoing one. Yehovah is also translated as the existing one. Now, here's what I wanted to get to. When I said the father wants his children to know him as he is. Within his very name, I am that I am. According to the Hebrew, there is a strong suggestion that denotes not only I am, but, and, and, and I'm, how can I say this? I'm the one who is, but I'm the one who wants to become known to you. It's in his name. Not only I am, but I am the one who wants to be known by you. I am the, the uncreated creator who wants you to experience me. I am the ongoing one who wants to reveal my ongoingness to you. I want you to experience and taste my I amness. Built within his name is relationship with you. It's a part of who he is. He is a God of relationship, and you're the one he wants to have relationship with. What do I have to do to have a relationship with him? Belief. Believe in what he said and what he's done. We see in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, it says, but without faith, it is impossible. What is faith? Confidence in his goodness. Confidence in who he is. The centurion showed us what faith is. The Canaan woman from Cana showed us uh, what faith is. But without confidence in who he is, 
without faith, it's impossible to experience him. It pleases him when you experience him. It's impossible to please him. For he that comes to God must believe that he is I am. If you have a translation that says must believe that he exists, cross it out. That Bible doesn't say that. That's stupid. The, the Greek says that believe that he is. God's existence, nowhere does he ever try and prove he exists. Nothing could be more obvious. Believing God exists won't help you. The demons know that, and they're a mess. It's knowing that he is who he says he is. That's what will change your life. Must believe that he is, and that he is rich in mercy, hot mama. And that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Jesus in his earthly ministry revealed himself as the I am. In John, we're not going to turn to these, I'm just going to read them. John chapter 8, verse 58, Jesus said, Before Abraham was, I am. John 8, 23 through 24, he said, For if you do not believe that I am, you will die in your sins. John 6, 35, 48, he said, I am the bread of life. John 8, 12 and 9, 5, I am the light of the world. Who shall I tell them sent you? Who sent me? <laughs> John chapter 10, verse 9, I am the door. John 10, 11, I am the good shepherd. John 15, 1, I am the true vine. John 15, 5, I am the vine. You are the branches relationship. John eleven twenty five. 25, I am the resurrection and the life. John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the uncreated creator, and I'm passionate about knowing you and you knowing me. You see, your primary calling in life is to experience God every day. <laughs> That's what you're all about, experiencing Him. Now, we get all caught up in the what of life. There is a what about you. There is a what. There are things that God has called you to do, and there is a specific what He's called you to do. But what He's called you to do is simply the environment that you will come to know Him in. So it's important to know what He's called you to do. Don't, don't beat yourself up or try and figure it out. Just focus on knowing Him. He'll reveal to you what he's called you to do and if you'll step into that what that calling it will become the environment that you will experience him in <laughs> I love it uh, brother Philip was asking me a question before church he said are you a plumber I said boy I wish I was I said no I said no I try but you know water tends to squirt out pipes when I touch them <laughs> But he says, well, what do, you, what do you do? I said, I'm a pastor. And he went, that's it? <laughs> I love it. I love it. And I said, I preach the gospel. And he just he went, okay. And he walked away. <laughs> what he's called you to do will be the environment that you know him in. I never heard of a job description that, that could capture the way I've lived my life the last 20 plus years in full-time ministry. I didn't know anything about it. Never heard about it. Never was taught about it. I just wanted to know him. There's where it is, right there, Jen. 
You, you want to share what you're sharing about what you want, you want to come up? There's where it fits. Just hold on what we're saying. I wanted to know him. Come on, Jennifer shared with me in the car this morning. So that I could marry this hot mama. That's why. No, I didn't even know her. I didn't even know her back then. This was before I ever met Jennifer. I met her in 90, uh, well, 89, fall of 89. I started talking to Jesus probably in 85, so I hadn't met her yet. Yeah, so the motivation, and this will, unva- will unveil your calling. I, I, I wanted to know him personally. God. And I decided I'm not going to settle for anything less than a personal relationship with God. And I tried a lot of different philosophies, and none of them worked. They always left question marks. Try harder, do this, do that. And so it was probably at the age of about 15, 16, actually maybe 16, 17, that I started looking up at this guy and saying, God, who are you? I want to know you. I had a lot of pain in my life, alcohol, kinds of other things, but that wasn't the motivation to know him. My motivation wasn't to be healed. It wasn't, it was I want to know you personally. If you will come to that place in your heart, well, you will make that the reason that your eyes blink, the reason that you have scrambled eggs in the morning, the reason that you get oil changes, the reason that you do all that you do, simply because I want to know you personally in my daily life. This is why I do what I do. Then your calling will unfold. And only then. And so many are are frustrated. What's my calling? What's my calling? They haven't given their whole heart to him yet. Give your whole heart to him and your calling will become very obvious. And the steps to take to get you there. Your calling is your greenhouse. It's where you're going to grow and flourish. And, see, and it's, it's unique to you because you're unique. The way I, I do full-time ministry is unique to me. Someone else might try and do it, but it, everybody's different. I, I do things differently. We do church differently. I walk with God differently because I'm me. And I'm not going to try and be anyone else because I can't. See, your calling was custom made for you. It's, it's your greenhouse to, where you get to know him in. And you've got to let go of, of what others think about you. And the fear of man. What are they going to say? I'm such and such. And what are they going to think if I do this? And well, are they going to accept me? It doesn't matter. Many rejected Jesus. You'll get rejected too. It's part of being in this world. But you want to step into your calling because it's the greenhouse where you're going to flourish and where that branch-vine relationship starts bearing fruit. And I'm amazed as I go through each day (laughs) for the last, man, 20-plus years, the specific things, the details of my calling become these avenues to discover dimensions of him that I couldn't have discovered had I not stepped into my calling. Right, 
What was Abram's calling? Not Abe Lincoln, but Abram. Good old Abe, who became Abraham. Abram was in the wrong environment. He was in the wrong greenhouse. In Joshua 24, 2, tells us that Abraham's dad, Terah, worshipped other gods. In fact, there are Hebrew writings that talk of Abraham's dad that he made and sold idols. That was the family business. Abram had a calling on his life. No one had a calling like he did to be the father of you and me, the father of our faith. But he was in the wrong environment. He was in the wrong business. His family business was making and selling idols. So what does God do? He sees Abraham's heart, and he calls him out from this a greenhouse of false gods into a relationship with the uncreated creator. Hmm, I love what the Holy Spirit's doing right now. (laughs) He calls them into this relationship with the ongoing one, and he calls them to be the father of a new breed of people. (laughs) A new breed of people. What kind of people? People that believe and know God. People that appraise him accurately. People that know him as he is, not as a statue or a tradition, but as the living, uncreated creator. He calls Abram to be the father of a new breed of people, people that are very different from the status quo, people that are distinct from the world, people that are readily distinguishable from those who don't have faith in him. In fact, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 and 10 is a part of Abram's calling, and let's put that up there, to be the father of a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar, different, not like the status quo people. Paul, in writing to believers, said you're living like mere men. We shouldn't be living like unbelievers. We shouldn't be looking to the world for answers. That's how mere men live. We have the spirit of the living God inside of us. We have the answer. Peculiar people that you should show forth the praises made to praise. That you should show forth the appraisal of him who's called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God. We used to be like the world. We used to listen to the news, man's news, the fake news. We used to look to man for answers, but we don't do that anymore. We fellowship with God. We we receive his mercy and grace in our lives. We've received the gift of his righteousness. We're new creations in him. We're not mere men anymore. We're sons and daughters of God. Hallelujah. What makes us different? Confidence in who God is. Our appraisal of him. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8 says this. Abram's name was changed. God changed it. So that Abraham would see the reality of what God called him to do. He called him Abraham, exalted father. 
of this new breed of people. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed. He said yes. And he went out not knowing where he was going. I do that a lot. My wife doesn't, but I do that a lot. She knows exactly we get in the car where to go, but I just hit the gas and put down the window and crank the tunes. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles, tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise, his son and grandson. Jacob became Israel, prince of God. For he looked for a city which had foundations whose builder and maker is the uncreated creator. Through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed. Sarah, both Abram, Abraham and Sarah, naturally speaking, were beyond the age of childbearing. When God said, you're going to have a son, it was impossible as far as man was concerned. Not only were they beyond the age, but Sarah had been barren her whole life. Two impossibles. One word from God cancels two impossibles. Two impossibles plus one word from God equals victory. Little algebra for you. Through faith also Sarah received strength to conceive seed and was delivered a child when she was past age. What caused this supernatural strength to fill Sarah's body, her appraisal of God? Same thing that caused that centurion's servant to be whole. Same thing that caused that woman from Canaan's daughter to be whole. Confidence in God. The right appraisal of Him because Sarah judged, appraised God faithful who had promised. Get this, a woman received strength in her body, received a wholeness in her body because she judged God faithful to do what He had promised. Do you judge God faithful to do what He's promised in your life? When you appraise Him as He is, strength will fill your body. Therefore sprang there even of one Isaac and him, excuse me, of Abraham, Therefore, even, therefore sprang there, therefore sprang there, even of one, and him as good as dead, that would be Abraham, so many as the stars of the sky in multitude, and as the sand which is by the seashore innumerable. Talk about taking the impossible and making it possible. He didn't give them just one. He gave them so many children, you can't count them. That's the nature of your Father. He'll always give you more than you can count. More than you can appraise. Now, this is where I really wanted to get to. Romans chapter 4, then we'll finish. Romans chapter 4. Starting in verse 17. As it is written, a father of many nations have I made you. At that point, he had not one child. He was beyond the age of childbearing. So was his wife, and his wife was barren. But God will always give you his word before you see it. That's how he operates. The word always comes first. This is how the kingdom of God works. You receive his word, you believe his word, and then you see his word manifest. You can't reverse the order. You've got to receive the word of God, believe the word of God, then you'll see the word of God. 
in the sight of him whom he believed, even God who gives life to the dead. Impossible. And calls into being that which does not exist. Impossible. Nope. It's who he is. That means no matter what you're facing, victory is yours in Christ. Nothing's impossible with him. In hope against hope. Two kinds of hope here. There's the worldly hope, which is like uh, what, what Jiminy the Cricket used to say. When you wish upon a star. Da -dee 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 -dee. It's like hoping. You know, yeah, I really hope this is going to happen. Cross your fingers. That's the worldly hope. Right? But there's a godly hope which is unshakable confidence because of who he is. See? So, but listen, that worldly hope will try and talk you out of the godly hope. It'll try and tell you, uh, but, well, then if you're healed, why do you feel the way you feel? Why are there symptoms in your body? If you're forgiven, why are you having all of these condemning thoughts? Right? If you're saved, why are you still having those temptations and urges? But in hope, but that's when you put your confidence in God and you begin to praise, appraise Him. Father, thank You. You are who You say You are. I am who You say I am. I am a new creation in Christ Jesus. Jesus Himself bore my sicknesses and carried my diseases. And I praise You, Father, that I am healed, that I am delivered from sin, that I am righteous in Your sight, that I am Your son, Your daughter. In hope against hope. He believed in order that he might become a father of many nations. According to that which he had spoken, which had been spoken, excuse me, so shall your descendants be. This godly confidence will be the, the DNA of your descendants. This is our peculiarness. We have this confidence that God is who He says He is, that He is my deliverer, that He is my redeemer, that He is my personal physician, that He is my counselor, that He is my righteousness, that He's my sanctification, that He's my provider, that He's the banner of victory over my life. And without becoming weak in faith, faith, he contemplated his own body, now as good as dead. I think it's one translation that says he stared, his, stared at his body in the face. He looked at the impossibility since he was about a hundred years old in the deadness of Sarah's womb without becoming weak in faith. So you get bold when your confidence is in God. You can look right in the face of failure and say, I've got it. I am who God says I am. I am the victor. I am more than a conqueror. Yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God, appraising God for who He is, and being fully assured that what He had promised, He was able also to perform. Therefore, also, it was reckoned to Him as righteousness. Not for His sake only was it written that it was reckoned to Him, but for our sake also, to whom it will be reckoned as those who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the devil, from the dead. For he was delivered up because of our transgression and raised because of our justification. Now, verses 20 and 21 in the Amplified. I don't know what you're currently dealing with in your life. The New Testament teaches us that we're all dealing with the same things, basically. That whatever you're going through, it's common to man. None of us go through anything that's not common to man. 
The devil wants to tell you what you're going through is worse than what anyone else has ever been through. And, oh, boy, you've got it bad. And woe is you. He wants to throw you the biggest pity party that will take you right to your grave. The truth is we're all living in this world, and we're all dealing with the same stuff. And the truth is we've all got the victory for it through Christ. But how do I become strong in faith? How do I go from being afraid, discouraged, downtrodden, anxious and worried to confident, bold, and happy? Verse 20 in the Amplified. No unbelief or distrust made him waver. Doubt and question. And I like how it says it there because it's treating doubt and unbelief like their personalities. Spirits, and they are. Spirits talk to you, whether you recognize it or not. They want you to think that it's you, but they will send doubts and unbeliefs your way, and they're good at it. And they'll connect why you shouldn't be healed or why you shouldn't uh, be blessed and prosperous with mistakes you've made in the past. And if you're a sucker, you'll believe them. But if, you're, if you know who your father is, you won't. Because you'll know that the blessings of the Lord don't come to, into our lives because of our track record, but they come into our lives because of the track record of Jesus. So you're always qualified. You're permanently qualified to be blessed and prosperous for the rest of your life. When Jesus rose from the dead and ascended back unto the Father, you were permanently qualified to be blessed. And no mistake that you make can change that. Don't let anyone talk you out of your blessing. The quality of life that Christ came to give you, it was given to you. You didn't earn it. It's a gift. No unbelief or distrust made him waver. He didn't listen to it. Abraham went through the same stuff we go through. Concerning the promise of God. Here it is. But he grew strong. Which means he wasn't always strong. He became strong. Which means he was weak before he became strong. He once was weak but he was transformed from being weak to being strong. We've been watching Family Matters, uh, and we just watched an episode where Steve Urkel, he invented this uh, transformation machine. Anyone know this Steve Urkel show? He, he invents this machine, machine that looks like a porta potty. And you step into it, and he transforms. He goes in, and he goes in a nerd, and he comes out cool. Well, in this episode, they, 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 were, they needed help. These, uh, him and uh, Carl Winslow were getting uh, threatened by this ga- street gang. So they went into the machine and, uh, uh, w- w- uh, just like they were, but they came out like Bruce Lee. <laughs> it was great. <laughs> yeah. But this is what happened when you renew your mind. You go into the, the, the porta potty, a nerd, and you come out Bruce Lee. Come on, are there any Bruce Lees in the house? Come on. Yes, you are. You're Bruce Lee. You are. You're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Satan can't handle your moves. He can't handle your moves. He has no defense. How did Abram become transformed? He was transformed. How? He was empowered by faith. How? As he gave praise and glory to God. What? He was transformed from a nerd to a stud. Hallelujah. As he gave praise and glory to God. From a weakling to Bruce Lee. As he gave praise and glory to God. Listen, we're having fun, but I'm being real with you. Whatever your need is, whatever situation you are in, transformation comes by appraising Him for who He is. 
you will go from weak to strong, from an addict to free, from bondage to liberty, from sickness to health, from poverty to wealth. If you will just praise the living God, if you will appraise him and declare that he is who he says he is, that he's always for me, that he's never against me. He gave his son for me and because he gave his son, I know I'm healed. Because he gave his son, I know I'm prosperous. Because he gave his son, I I know I have a sound mind because he gave his son. I know his love is shed abroad in my heart because he gave his son for me. Woo! Hallelujah! Jesus! Thank you! Thank you! Thank you! Woo! fully satisfied and assured that God was able and mighty to keep his word and to do what he had promised. Don't let any unbelief or doubt or fear talk to you. You begin to praise your father. You begin to praise him. God, you're faithful. You're faithful. Your word is true in my life. Every promise that you made is my right now provision. Hallelujah. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Your word is perfect in power and it's manifest in my life. Thank you, Lord, for who you are. Thank you, God. Your word is true. It's from everlasting to everlasting and your word is working mightily in me. Hallelujah. 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 And we'll end with this. Your praise will not be effective until you know that what he did, he did for you. So you're not praising him for the peanut gallery. Like, oh, you know, I give you praise because you're God, but I'm just going to have a miserable life. You're praising him up close because he's for you and he gave his son for you so that you would live an abundant life for the rest of your life. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we bless you. And Lord, we praise your name. Come on up here, band. Let's bless him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Woo! Hallelujah. Jesus, you're so good. Oh, it's Christmas time. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Let's bless him. Hallelujah. Glory to your name. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Lord, you gave us a gift today. Thank you, Father, for the gift that you've given us, the revelation of your goodness that you imparted to us today. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Woo! Thank you. Hallelujah. God is so good. We want to invite you to continue to grow in the knowledge of His goodness, who He is, what He's done for you, and who you are in Him. Check out our websites at josephbosco.us and highwaychurch.us and begin living the abundant life He came to give you.